0: I need to stand up here today and tell you that I had a special revelation from God here this week. And it's this, is that the spiritual world is good and the material world is bad. And the material world is frankly under the control of evil and in the under, it's really filled with ignorance. And for some of you as well, there is a divine spark that's trapped within you. Now, not everyone here has that spark, but for you that have the divine spark, you actually have the chance for redemption. Now, you have to understand that where that divine spark came from. It came from the god Sophie. And realize this, that spark leads to secret knowledge where salvation is actually possible. And it's a knowledge by which you can know yourself deeply. And you can know the origins and understand your destiny in the spiritual realm. And also, since God is good, recognize something that is that he could not have created this evil world. So realize the material world was created by an inferior, ignorant, and evil God. That God's name is Archon, and Archon created our world, but pretends to be God. And he hides the truth from so many people. But yet, for some of you, the sparks of Sophie are there. And, and it feels an urge to return to the divine realm, where you can be enlightened. And you're going to know that you belong in that place, that profound place. So that's my message for today. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. We're going to go out and have a cup of coffee afterward and figure out who has received that spark and secret knowledge and will experience the divine. You know, right now the elders are thinking of coming up here and uh, yanking me off the stage. But those were the type of beliefs that as Paul wrote this letter, those are the beliefs that were creeping into this small church in Colossae. See, they were struggling with this word Gnosticism. It was moving into it. It was adding confusion to the people that were there. Now, you might be saying, does anybody really believe that stuff? And I go, yes. As a matter of fact, it's alive and well today. You know, there was a book written a number of years ago. It was called The Da Vinci Code. I don't know if any of you wrote, uh, had read it. Sold over four million copies. They made a movie on the basis of that book. And there's a character in there called Tebing who claims that the Council of Nicaea, there was actually a Council of Nicaea back in 325 AD. It was an important council, by the way. But he states that in the, his belief is before 325, that the church and all of even the apostles and all of those people, early Christians, they knew that Jesus really wasn't God, that he was just a good prophet. And it was after at 325, then is that the church decided we're going to make Jesus God. And the Gnostics said, huh, not true. And, and so in this book, that is some of the stuff that this author promotes in, that, in some form. But understand the bottom line is this. It's a historical, it's an attack on a historical Jesus. You know, the final scene in the Da Vinci Code, it's kind of the, this holy grail where Teabing lays out this conspiracy theory. And then that's kind of at the heart of this book. But on the key scene toward the end, I'm going to quote it here. Almost everything our fathers taught us about Christ is false. And to this day, people are still promoting some of these things. That you can have a divine experience if you just do the right mantra. If you have just the right secret knowledge. Folks, Satan is alive and well. From the very beginning of the Garden of Eden to now, to us today, he's still trying to throw out confusion. He's saying, taste and see that you can be divine, that you can be like God, knowing good and evil. He's still working. He's still working. See, that is the context, though, of this book that we're going through, the book of Colossians. There's a group of people that are confused and wrestling with some of those things. Now the text here, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 9. And for context, understand that Pastor Steve actually went over the first few number of verses here last week. So I'm going to kind of just, I think it just helps the context of it. Look at verse 9 here. who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." Last week, Pastor Steve went after that prayer of praying for spiritual wisdom and understanding that we might bear fruit, that we might bear fruit. But in that fruit, we are to seek him with all our hearts, to know him beyond just intellectual knowledge, but really relational knowing who he is. And as a result of that, Paul prays again for power, for for strength, that when, when junk comes, That there's endurance and there's patience in the midst of hard stuff. And still be joyful. But today, in verse 12, is where I want to begin to focus. And and again, if you're new, the the title of this series, Above All. You see, there is a reality with with this church is they needed to know and understand Christ in a more profound way. That Christ needed to be above all. But that applies to us as a church as well today. And even individual. You understand, as we walk through this book, lots of times what I'm going to be doing is going, look at Paul's life. He is a model. He is to be a mentor in our lives Even as we look at the scriptures, we see how he, what he believed, how he lived his life, the focus points of who he was and how he lived in this world. So this applies to us as well. So above all, it's going to be about Jesus. But I understand this church was being attacked and saying that Jesus just isn't that important. And Paul says, oh, no, you don't. Don't get trapped by there. And he's saying, church, I want you to be in Christ. This term, in Christ. And it applies to us when he asked the question, our identity. Is our identity about being in Christ Christ? You see, that word identity is very important for us, and I don't think we realize it in terms of how important it is. Matter of fact, I want to put you a couple of questions that really go along with our identity, and the first one is this. Have you ever pondered this? What gives you meaning in life? Have you ever slowed down long enough and said, and reflected on, what is my life all about? What's important? Matter of fact, let me throw you some more questions. Here's another one. What is the primary purpose of your existence on this planet? I don't know if it's the last time you've sat and pondered that question. See, that's directed toward that idea of where is our meaning coming from? Let me throw you another one. What gives you your greatest pleasure? See, that question is pointing to the meaning and the purpose of your life. How about another one? How about this one? What excites you the most? What what gets you really amped up and going, oh, I'm so excited? It reflects, your excitement reflects where meaning is found in your life. Maybe another one, a little bit different. What gives you your greatest joy? You're thrilled, you're happy. See, when you look in the mirror and ponder, do you know that that's connected? Where am I finding meaning and purpose in my life? How about this one? What's the most important thing that puts a smile on your face? Makes you happy. Here's the last one. What moves you to a place where there is profound contentment in your life? Where you grab a cup of coffee at the end of the day and you sit down or maybe you don't like coffee, it's a Coke or a soda somewhere and you sit down and say, it is well with my soul. I'm satisfied. What are the circumstances where you get to that point What's, what are you aiming at that I'm satisfied? You know what? Is it your work? Is that where meaning is pointed? Or, or maybe, maybe it's this. It's your kids. Or the fun, the pleasures that are out there. That's the most satisfying for you. See, it's a hard question, but let me throw you a harder question. Is Jesus sitting at the center of your answers to all of those questions? Is he connected to those in any way? See, our identity in Christ is critical not only to us as an individual, but to collectively for us as a church. You know, you think of a church even like ours. You compare it to back then. What if you come in on a Sunday morning and I tell you, you do worship angels, you know. Don't you? What do you mean? Confusion. You know that you need secret knowledge, right? And a divine spark. You do know that, don't you? What would you say? But, But let me switch it. If your kids came to you, if you're a parent and your older kids came and said, somebody said I'm supposed to have a divine spark, what would you tell them? How would you respond to them? How would you push them back toward Jesus? What would you say to them? You see, there's false messages that was pointed, pushed to the church back then. And folks, it's being pushed to us as a church as well. So we need wisdom and understanding. But here's where I want to go today. Recognize something. Even as we look to encourage people or to help people walk toward Christ, this morning, the first part of it is this. I want to focus on five stunning gifts that God has given us. Incredible gifts where we need to just slow down and go, oh, he's done this for us. This is a gift for us. If you want to follow along in the outline here, it says the goal for us is to embrace these gifts. As a matter of fact, today, if you're doubting God, if he's not all that good to you today, these verses remind us that we have a good, good heavenly father. And it should propel us. It should propel us toward joy. It should propel us toward worship. And just this sense of, oh, God is good. Let me give you the first gift, number one here in your notes. Do you know that God has given a gift and he has qualified you? He's qualified you to go, okay, what do you mean? Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. See, there's some spiritual blessings, gifts here, and the call is You'd catch that thankfulness, but he qualified us for a spiritual inheritance. Now that word qualified is interesting because I think back when I took my kids to either Carnival or like Disney World, we took them once or twice. And when they were younger, I remember one time we'd go up to the ride and remember there'd be something, maybe a figure or whatever, but there's this thing where there's this line where if, if they hit the line, they're qualified to go on that ride right and if they're below that they're not qualified they need to grow a couple more inches to be qualified something needs to happen before they're qualified but think of it of being without christ because there's another word that's actually stronger that's connected to qualified it's this disqualified disqualified Let me read you the definition. I don't have it on the screen. And this is geared toward a person. It's declared ineligible for an office, for an activity, or competition because of an offense or an infringement. Now here's where I think we forget that Paul understands this in the background. That you and I, in our natural sinful state, apart from Christ... If we are not, quote, in Christ, we're not merely unqualified for the kingdom of God. We are profoundly disqualified from the kingdom. It's not saying that, God, you've got to grow three inches spiritually and then you're qualified. It's not that at all. Or that you have to do a certain amount of good works and then you're qualified. No. No. See, the scriptures tell us that without being in Christ, God says by choice and by human nature, you're the kind of person who is prohibited from entering my kingdom. Disqualified. You're excluded because you are mortally flawed. Spiritually flawed. And no amount of works is going to make you qualified. See, believing that you're a good person does not qualify you for this spiritual inheritance that Paul was talking about. See, but thanks be to God. He has qualified us. He's made us worthy to inherit blessings. Folks, that is a profound gift. If you've put your life in the hands of Jesus... Matter of fact, even if today, if you're filled with shame or you're filled with despair, and even if this is a despair that cripples you, if you put your faith in Jesus, no matter what your feelings are telling you, because oftentimes they lie to you, but if you've done that, you share in the inheritance of the saints. You have been qualified, and that cannot be taken away from you. See, that inheritance grants us to move into the light. What's the light? Jesus. To be with Jesus. But look at two more gifts. For your notes here, gift number two. God has delivered you. And gift number three. God has transferred you. Look at verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You know, in Acts chapter 28, Paul stood before this king named Agrippa. And Paul was telling his story how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And that Jesus had given Paul the gospel, and it was for a purpose and for a mission. And let me put Acts 26, 18 on the screen. And here was the, I'm giving you the gospel, Paul. Why? To open their eyes so they might turn from darkness, do you catch this? To light from the power of Satan to the power of God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. From here to there. Do you catch the change that's happening? See, the Bible teaches there are two spiritual realms. And I think we forget that. And all people belong to either the realm of darkness or the realm of light. Darkness or light. And many people are in darkness and they don't even know it. They don't know that they're under the power and the authority of Satan. Listen to 1 John five nineteen. I don't have it on the screen. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That whole world. John means that everyone and everything that is not in Christ by faith is in the power of the evil one. And people don't know it. See, this book reveals that they're blind, they're in bondage, and they're powerless to qualify themselves for the kingdom, for salvation. No matter how smart they are, no matter how much money they have, no matter how many good deeds they do, it will not qualify them. See, apart from Christ, they're under the domain and they are in darkness and they need to be set free. Now, here's what we do, I think, especially for us that are parents. See, I, I think at times this is implied. They come to me, Ken, well, this just applies to adults, doesn't it? And you go, no, this is our children too, folks. See, here's the challenge for us. We look at people, because you know what? Think of the nicest relative you ever you, ha- you can have. If, if they're not in Christ, they're in the domain of darkness. They're under the power of Satan. But they're nice, Ken. Sorry. It's what the Bible tells us. See, you can have a, a profoundly nice neighbor, and they're still in the domain of darkness. You can have a nice grandma, and if they're not in Christ, they're in the domain of darkness. We don't like to think of it, those terms. And what needs to happen then? See, he has to deliver us. He's got to pluck us out. We need to be transferred, plucked out, uprooted from that being in that domain, and then moved. To somewhere else that's what Paul is writing here, you know some of you are getting ready for gardening, and, and you've been in your home already you're you're planting some seeds and you're you're growing them, but you know that when the snow leaves here in July you 're going to be able to transplant them out into the you, you caught that a little bit but but you understand for gardening it's you start here, you're in the house. But where do you need to flourish? You need to be transferred to the domain of being outside. But let me try to illustrate more from a relational context, not just plants. Think of it this way. There's a house over here. has Christ. It's his home. And we're outside in the dark. And what does Christ have to do? He has to come outside... Is to enter the darkness. He comes down off his porch and he grabs us and by faith we walk with him and we walk into the light and we sit down at his table and we fellowship with him. He's transferred us to a new place. And did you catch that phrase? Because now you are with, not out in the dark, you're in that home with my beloved son. You see what the father's trying to communicate to us? Of the profound gift of being delivered and transferred now into the home and the, the presence of the Son. And folks, the only reason we get invited to do that is because that Jesus had done, has done the work for us because he died for you and me. He paid the penalty for sin, our sin. And what he was doing in that grip of Satan, he was coming along and he was prying those fingers off so that we could move by faith into the arms of Jesus. Folks, profound gifts. But there's two more. Four and five, look at this for your notes. He has now redeemed us as well. And number five, he has forgiven us. Redeemed forgiven. Look at verse 14. In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. You know, if you go down to a local watering hole and ask the average person, are you free? Do you have free will? And they're going to go, of course. They believe they're free and they believe that their own thoughts are their own thoughts alone. That They're mine. But the Ironic truth is that the scripture says this. They're slaves if they're not in Christ. They are slaves to sin. They've been sold in the bondage because of their corrupt and their fallen nature. And the only solution, let me put the solution on the screen, is Jesus. Look at Matthew 20, 28. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And here's the key, to give his life as a ransom For many, he bought us out. He paid the price for us, the debt that we owed, and he could deliver it. And Christ delivered it from the grips of sin and Satan. See that phrase in Christ, folks. It is so critical. And because we are in Christ, he's saying this is a gift. You have you've been redeemed. You've been purchased. And what's the primary blessing in being redeemed? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And I think at times, we know we're sinners. We know every day we get up and there's times every day and you go, oh, I blew it again. And what do you do with that? And, and sometimes the sin, and we're gonna see it later in these chapters, it's some hard sin that we're stuck in. But realize this, you're never going to find the feeling of being forgiven by just pursuing avenues that the world tells you to go down. For some, it's, it's sitting at a, at a bar stool and going, I'm just going to numb the pain that because I just don't feel forgiven. And, and for some, it's, I'm just going to avoid it altogether. I'm just going to go out and be happy you're going to celebrate life and forget it, and then the pain will go away. For some, you try to find it in a counselor's office without Christ. But for some, even, you know, what I really need to feel forgiven is I need healthy self-esteem. I need to figure out how just to love myself. And I'll say this, apart from Christ, it means nothing. You can feel good about yourselves, but if you are not in Christ, you're still in the domain of darkness. But do we recognize that when you are in Christ, when you embrace what Jesus did for you, that the opportunity is for you to just go to Jesus every day and say, would you forgive me? And he is faithful and just to forgive us. Matter of fact, it's even a little farther than that. I, wanna, I came across an illustration this week. I want to put a picture up on the screen. Everybody know what that is? I did a sketch. That was the first iPad, okay? <laughs> I remember in the car, you would draw those pictures, and you'd try to write words, and I know some were really gifted in there, but my art was terrible. And the things I drew, usually what I had to end up doing was turning it over, shaking it, and start over again. But understand, that illustrates what Christ and what God is doing for us. Because when we draw that ugly picture of our life, and there's sin there, and there's junk there, and you go, how do you get rid of it? Well, here's what happens. Do you know that if you are in Christ, that you have put your faith in Jesus, that he comes and he takes that etch-a-sketch, and he sees the sin... And you know what he does? He turns it over. And he flips over. It's white. That's what Jesus is doing for you. And listen to this. Every day. I don't know if you know this. If you are in Christ. That he takes. And he looks at the end of the day. And go "Uh, look at Ken's stuff. He yelled at his wife. He did this. And he turns it over. And I get up. And my slate is clean. Do you catch the profound gift that is for us to start every morning being forgiven by God? Every morning, even though our drawings are pathetic sometimes. He starts it over with us. And should that not lead to joy and worship because of what he's doing for us every day? But you see how Paul's reminding them? Church, remember these gifts. People are trying to take you away from these. They're trying to distort Jesus. He wants Jesus to become bigger in their lives. So he's reminding them of the incomprehensible gifts that's been giving, given by the Father through Jesus. But he even goes farther. You notice the title of the sermon on the sheet today? Oh, by the way... Because in one sense he, here's what's happening in this writing in this book. He goes these five gifts and they're monumental and then he jumps into this other section and it's kind of, oh by the way, can I give you even more a bigger picture of Jesus? This is a Jesus on steroids. And he walks through a series of verses that just lifts up Christ. Matter of fact, there's a word, you might have it in between this section, between just what I went through in this next section. The word preeminent is such an important word. It is the the right word. Christ is preeminent. What is that word? Uh, Let me, uh, here's the definition of it. Surpassing all others. Very distinguished in some way. Let me give you some of the synonyms. That's an adjective, but look at the synonyms here. If you punched it in, greatest. Think of it in terms of Jesus when I read these synonyms, okay? Leading, foremost, best, finest, chief, outstanding, excellent, distinguished, prominent, eminent, important, major, star, top, top tier, famous, renowned, celebrated, illustrious, towering, supreme, superior, exceptional, unrivaled, unsurpassed, unequaled, incomparable, matchless, peerless, unmatched, transcendent. That is Jesus. Church, here's these five gifts. But oh, by the way, here's Jesus. There's even more. There's even more. Do you catch catch the word This preeminent? So what does he tell him? Look at verse 15. To to explain the preeminence of this Jesus. He's the real deal. 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. What's he saying? Oh, by the way, guys, number one, Jesus must be preeminent in all things because he is the image of the invisible God. He represents God, and he is God. Number two, Jesus must be preeminent in all things because he's the firstborn of all creation. We look at that and go, oh, was Jesus born? No, because it's really connected to the second. It's referring to his part in creation. Look how it reads in verse 16. For in him, all All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Number three in your notes to fill in that blank, Jesus must be preeminent in all things because he created all things. Do we catch that? Number four, Jesus must be preeminent in all things because everything he created exists for him. This world is created for him and the purposes of him and his father. Creation was for his pleasure, his good. Now we tainted it through Adam and Eve. But look at verse 17 again, keep going. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Before anything existed, there was Jesus, he's telling this church. And in him, all things hold together. He goes, Jesus was here before dirt. And he's going to be here after dirt. Because Jesus is first. Number six, Jesus must be preeminent in all things because in him all things hold together. Do you recognize the very cells that we have? If it wasn't for Jesus holding this world together, that we would be nothing. Do we recognize that? Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that everything he might have supremacy. Number seven, Jesus must be preeminent in all things because he is the head of the church. Number eight, Jesus must be preeminent in all things because he's the firstborn from the dead. He's the head of this church. But also he was the one that conquered death. And he is over death. The firstborn from the dead. Look at verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness. All of the qualities of God dwell in him. Number nine. Jesus must be preeminent in all things because he is God. Look at verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Number 10, that last one, Jesus must be preeminent in all things because he is our Savior. Oh, by the way, this Jesus, guys, is more than just a nice guy. They've been telling you he's not even God. No, Jesus is far beyond what they're saying. He's preeminent. He's no moral prophet. He's God himself who forgives sin, who has qualified you, delivered you, transferred you, redeemed you, forgiven you. And he's God on top of it. Let me end with this way. I want to put up a question up on the screen. I'm going to invite the worship team to even come on up here. We're going to sing a song at the end. But here's this question. Who is Jesus to you right now? Is he important? Do you follow Jesus when it's convenient? It's Sunday today. I guess I'll try to follow Jesus today. Or do you want Jesus and are willing to connect to him when you get in trouble? Or when your life just isn't working. I I need someone to help me so that I will go to Jesus. Is that your Jesus that you have? Or or I'm not feeling good about myself. Jesus, I need you. Or, Or maybe he's a cuss word. That's the most you can say. He's a nice idea. Do you see how it circles around, folks? What is our identity all about? Where does Jesus fit in our identity? Is it there at the center? Or are you first a student or a retiree or a father or a grandfather or just a male or female or an athlete, whatever, fill in the blank. Is that who you are first? Do you catch here how much Paul is also modeling this? For me to live is Christ. Are you catching the weight of what that means and how he's our model? See, Jesus wasn't just necessary for fall. He wasn't just important for fall. He was supremely important above all else. You know, if we put a picture of Jesus up on the wall and put kind of a target behind him, is our life pointing toward that? When we get up every morning, does it point in any way toward Him? Or is it only when it's convenient? Where's our identity? And folks, I I, I gotta say, it doesn't happen overnight. I, I, I know that. It's a journey. But can we look back six months from now and go, yeah, I think my life, the preeminence of Jesus is mo- one step closer. I, it, it, again, it doesn't take place overnight. And parents, for you that have kids, you understand what the goal, one of the goals that you should have as your parents, do you believe that you're are helping your children in the preeminence of Christ? That he's everything. Everything. As you sing, we're going to sing a song above all. It it, it talks about lots of the things actually that we've already talked about today. But see, can we look at Jesus and say, He is our hope? He's the one that saved me. And can we begin to celebrate those five gifts that He's given to us? And maybe you need to just review them as you sing. You just go, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father for changing us. So let's stand and and let's sing to him. Understand worship is not about you singing to up front here. It's about singing to God and the father and the son. He's listening. Give him praise.